Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're continuing, of course, our study of the, basically the history of the nation of Israel. We're looking at the different kings. In fact, we're now to, to Solomon. He's the third king. We call him a man of peace because he's the man who would build the temple and not only was one of really the richest, most powerful men in the whole world, but he was declared to be the wisest man to ever live. And so we're looking at this man, Solomon, and remember God came to him and asked him, what do you want? And Solomon asked, said, I'll ask for wisdom. And God said, I'll make you the wisest person who's ever lived. And so we're looking at the third king. Of course, he's a man of peace. The name Solomon comes from Shalom, which means peace. And so that's who he is. As we look at this this morning, we're, we're seeing the, uh, we're going to see his wisdom. We're going to see, number one, how he deals with a problem and then we're going to see how he sets up the kingdom, because the kingdom is really probably the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time. We'll see what he does. Let me raise some questions just as we think about it. First of all, where do we get wisdom? You know, we'll talk about that. And then do we realize that we must pray for our leaders? And then the last thing is, do we realize just how wicked the heart of man really is. And we're going to see it as we go through this passage. It might surprise you as we look at it. Some, the passage, if you've not seen this before or not heard this before, it may surprise you. For most people, we've heard the, the, at least the first part of this passage, uh, we've heard a lot of it because it's kind of a famous story. So let me begin by saying this. How, how, do, we, how do we have victory in the Christian life? I mean, how can we live the Christian life? And, and you realize that I want to say, and this is going to sound funny, but uh, it's impossible for you to live the Christian life and for me. And the truth is, it's impossible because we can't do it in our strength. It's got to be God through us. And what is impossible with men is possible with God. And only in God's power can we live the Christian life and we walk in the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, so we can have victory. Paul actually writes uh, in Ephesians 5, he says, you walk in love, you walk in light, and you walk in wisdom. We walk in love as we love God and we love others. We walk in, walk in light as there's purity and holiness as we seek to live as children of God. And then we walk in wisdom, which is knowing and applying the Word of God and, and making decisions based on the Word of God. And so we're going to see that. That's what we want to do. This morning, we're going to see two different things. We're going to see Solomon's wise decision dealing with two women, and then we're going to see the organization of his government. And we'll, we'll look at it. It's going to look like a lot. Let me just show you this. This is the outline of the study. It looks like a lot because we're going to do the end of chapter 3, chapter 3, 16 through 28, and then the entire chapter 4. But there's a lot of just information there, and there's some things we won't talk about. We'll go through it and put it together for you. So we're going to be really 316 all the way to 434, but uh, I think you'll see that it goes really quickly, especially as we talk about Solomon's government. So as we begin, let's just remember where we are. We're in the life and the reign of Solomon. King David is dead. We started, of course, with Saul with the first king, and then David became the second king, and now Solomon is the third king, and uh, he's dealt with all the people that were in rebellion, and so everything looks pretty good. And as we started the chapter, we realized that he did something he really wasn't supposed to do. He married, he made an alliance with the king, with the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he married one of the daughters of the Pharaoh. And why did he do that? Well, we, we, he did that to make an alliance, to make peace. And we find that Solomon ultimately had a thousand wives. Uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is a slave wife. And so what we find is he made alliances all over the place. We said that when David 
did something. David went and fought and defeated the enemy. What Solomon did is he made deals with the enemy. And so he's, he's very powerful. And so with Pharaoh, which is probably, Egypt was probably the, either the most, as same as Israel or just under Israel's power at this time. And so he made that deal. He married the daughter of Pharaoh, setting up an alliance. And then here, the verse 3 said this. He said that he walked in God's love, that he loved the Lord. Let me read the verse to you. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David. Now, that's back at verse 3. And we could say this. We, 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 want, we want to be men and women who love the Lord and live by the Bible. What could be better said about you or about me that we loved God and we lived according to the Scripture? That'd be a good thing to be called. And that's what they're saying about Solomon. And, and so Solomon, something happened which is unusual. He went to offer some sacrifices. In fact, he offered a 1,000 sacrifices. And then he went, to sleep, he went to bed, and God came to him in a dream and said to him, what would you like for me to give you? Ask for whatever you want. Now, we talked about this last week because this was last week. What would you say to God if he came to you and said, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. I mean, it, it, some people might say, well, I'd like money, or I'd like riches, or I'd like power. And Solomon was very smart at that. He said, well, the truth is, Lord, uh, I'm like a child. I don't really know what to do. How can I lead these people? So what I ask you for is wisdom to lead the nation of Israel. And God said, wow. He said, because you have asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. In fact, I'm going to give you wisdom greater than any other person that's ever had it or ever will have it. So you're going to be the wisest person who ever lived. Second, since you didn't ask for money, riches, glory, power, I'm going to give you every bit of that. And he said, and if you live right, I'll let you live long. And so that was incredible. And so we saw that. And, and, and so we are amazed. You know, we're amazed at this. We're amazed at the grace and mercy of God who gives beyond what we could ask or imagine. I mean, Solomon just said, well, I want wisdom, and God gave him everything. And sometimes we'll pray and say, oh, Lord, I want this. And God says, you know, you're asking for that, but I'm going to give you something that's so much better. You just don't even realize it. You're asking for this. I'm going to give you beyond what you could ask or imagine. That's how God deals with us. Look back at your life. There are things that I prayed for, and what God did was so much better than what I prayed for. Because he says, look, I'm going to do beyond what you could ask or imagine. We are always amazed at the grace of God. Now, we're going to look at Solomon's wisdom, and He's going to deal with a problem, and we're going to see his organization. We're going to see everything. Now, we've got, to, we've got to talk about a truth, though, and here's the truth. Wisdom will not keep us from sin. We must choose to do what is right when we know what is right. Now, Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived, and yet he doesn't obey the Scripture. Because, just because we know what's right, just because we're wise, just because we know how to do things doesn't mean that we're going to always do what is right. And we can see it from Solomon's life. I'm going to show you more as we get toward the end of the passage, what Solomon does. Okay? So let's look, and we're going to see this morning. Let's look at verse 16. We saw the first 15 verses last week, and that was where Solomon had the dream, and God told him he was going to give him everything, give him wisdom and riches. And then look at verse 16. This is 1 Kings 3, verse 16. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. Now, we got two women... They're coming to Solomon with a problem. Now, let's talk about it for a second. You understand that the king was the most powerful person in the kingdom. 
and he represented God in a sense. And so what they basically said, anybody could go see the king. Now, you may have to wait a while because the king, he does what he wants to do, but he actually has people come see him. We saw it happen with the life of David. We saw it happen to Saul. We've seen it now. It's going to be in the life of Solomon. And here are two women. Notice it says, and two women who were harlots. They're, they're prostitutes. I mean, these aren't the upstanding women of, of the kingdom. These are two women who make their living having sexual relations. And they got a problem. Well, what is their problem? We think you already got a problem just by what you're doing. But what is the problem? What's happened? So they come to see the king. So look what happens. Verse 17, the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Now, she says, listen, this lady, she's talking first. She says, this woman, we live together. We live in the same house. Now, what are, you, what are they doing in that house? I mean, you can figure out what they're doing, okay? Now, she says, uh, I had a baby. I had a baby and while we're all together. Now, she wants to make sure that knows that it's just these two women and she has a baby. And then goes on, she says, it had happened, in verse 18, it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a baby and we were together. And then notice what she says to make emphasize. There was no stranger with us in the house only the two of us in the house. So she wants to make it really clear. There's me with my baby, her with her baby, and there's nobody else in the house. That's all that's there. So what's going to be the problem? What's, what's going on? You had a baby. Three days later, this lady had a baby. Well, watch what happens. She says, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. Best she could understand is that she had the baby with her, and the, one of the women, she rolled over or something and didn't realize it and most likely smothered her baby, and her baby died. And it says this, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. So she says, in the middle of the night, this woman woke up, realized what had happened, looked over, took her baby, went over to my bed, took my baby and put the dead baby in my, in my chair and, and brought her baby back, uh, brought my baby back with her. Now, she's telling the story and she says, so this woman got up, went over to my bed, took my baby, put her dead baby with me and came back, went back to bed. So she arose, verse 20, in the middle of the night, took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept. She laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. Then what happened? Well, and, and let me just say this. She swapped the children. In the middle of the night, she swapped the children. Well, what happened? Well, when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, I got up to nurse my son, and behold, he was dead. And then I looked at him carefully in the morning, Behold, it was not my son whom I had born. So she tells the story and she says, and I woke up that morning and I was ready to nurse my baby and I looked down and I went, well, first, first of all, it's dead. But second, this isn't my baby. This isn't my boy. I know what my boy looks like. Mamas know what their babies look like. And so she looked over there and she thought, she, she knew what happened. So she tells King David, and she says, so there were two of us in the house. I had a baby. Three days later, she had a baby. In the middle of the night, she rolls over in her baby, and, and the baby dies. So she comes and swaps them out. And when I woke up in the morning, I found out that I had a dead baby, and it wasn't even my baby. So they look at this woman, and it's her time to talk. 
And so what does she do? Verse 22, then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead son, the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. So you can see. One said, the living son is mine and the dead one is yours. And they said, no, no, the living son is mine and the dead one is yours. And they both spoke that way before the king. Now, let's pretend you're Solomon. What are you going to do? you got two women. There's no way to know whose the baby it is. They've got one baby there. Got one baby, one's dead. And she's saying, that's my baby. And the other lady said, no, it's my baby. What are you going to do? How can Solomon determine which one of these women is actually the mother of the living baby? Wow. Then the king said, verse 23, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. And he says, let me see if I got your story straight. You say that your son is the living one and her son's the dead one. And she says, her son's the living one and your son's the dead one. Have I got it straight? That's what Solomon's saying. Have I got it straight? I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. And you can see him nodding. And the king said in verse 24, get me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. He said, go get a sword. Now you and I are sitting there and, and look, there, you know there's other people there. There's people watching what Solomon is going to do. And we may be there. If we were there, we'd be going, what is he going to do? How's he going to know? How, how, can we, how can we get this right? Solomon says, somebody go get me a sword. So they went and got a sword. Verse 24, the king said, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. King said, verse 25, divide the living child in two, give half to one and the half to the other. Divide the child in two. Listen, uh, you know, you both say it's your child, so here's what we'll do. We'll cut it in two. You can have half of a baby, and you can have half of a baby. Now watch what happens. Verse 26, the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king. She was deeply stirred over her son, and she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. One woman said, no, 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 no. I, I'm, not, I'm not killing my baby. Just she can have the baby. I mean, and this lady said, no, neither one of us will have the baby. You already know, don't you? You already know woman said, the, real, the woman whose child was alive is the real mother. What did she say? She was deeply stirred. This was her baby. Look, she says, I'd rather not have the baby and let him live than to kill my baby. Do you see the evilness in this passage? Do you see this woman over here who's already smothered her baby, claiming this is her baby, and doesn't care if they cut the baby in two? She doesn't care. And you see the real mother saying, just let her have the baby. 
Just let her have the baby. Do we realize our sinfulness? Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful. The passage in Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what we'll probably do? We'll probably do the wrong thing. We're all capable. We're all capable of anything. And so when we look at something like this and we say, look at that woman. She actually killed her own baby and now she wants to kill this baby. And you say, isn't that a bad woman? Put yourself in a situation. You never know what you'll do. Take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, take heed. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4 says guard our hearts. And you know what he says? He says, here's what you do. Guard your heart. That means watch what goes into your life. And he says, watch what you look at. Watch where you go. And watch what you say. That's Proverbs chapter 4. The very end of the passage. You might want to look it up. Watch what you look at. Be careful what you look at. Be careful where you go. And be careful what you say. Guard your hearts. Because whatever you put in, what happens? It comes back out. And so that passes. So we got to be careful. Because who knows what we could end up like. And we look at this passage and we say, the real mama says, just give her the baby. Just give her the baby. Verse 27, then the king said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. He knows. Solomon states, give the first woman the child. She's the mama. I can tell immediately she's the mama. And if you'd have been there too and you saw what Solomon did, see, it was his wisdom. We probably wouldn't have thought anything like that. We'd have said, what are we going to do? I don't know. Solomon said, go get a sword. Let's just cut that baby in half and give it up. He knew. He's the wisest man who ever lived. Look what happens. Verse 28. Then all Israel heard of, when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now, listen, when they found out what Solomon did, the word spread. The people that were there, the word spread out what Solomon did, and it says they feared the king. That means they were in awe. That means they went, wow, what a decision. Boy, I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. I'm, he knew what to do. And look, it says they saw that the wisdom of God, they didn't say, Boy, is he smart. They said, God has given him wisdom. They saw the wisdom of God was in him. And do you realize that that's how it is for us? Whenever we get to do anything, if you get to teach somebody, if you get to lead somebody to Christ, if you get to help somebody in any way, you can't say, that's me. You say, that's God using me. It's the grace of God. And when somebody comes up to you and says, thank you for doing that. You're so good at that. Just say, Grace of God, it's just him using me. And that's what Solomon is saying. It is God's wisdom through me. And the people recognize it. They saw the wisdom of God was in him. God is working. Let's, let's talk about wisdom for a second. There's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that does not come from, from above. It's from the earth. It's earthly, natural, demonic. It's world, flesh, devil. That's what it is. That's, that's, the, that's man. That's wisdom, man, fallen man's wisdom. And that's what it's like. And then, but there is another wisdom. There's the wisdom from above, which is pure. That's God's wisdom. It's pure, it's peaceful, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering without hypocrisy. It's God's wisdom. And so we see that there are really two wisdoms. There's a wisdom of man. 
In fact, what two, two of the Proverbs say, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. It looks right to a human being, but it ends up being death. 1 Corinthians, look at this about wisdom. It says, Paul says, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God, his wisdom. We don't speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom that not of this age, is not of this world's wisdom, nor are the rulers of this age which are passing away. We speak of God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined for the ages of glory. There's a wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from God. What, what about wisdom? How do we have wisdom? What to know the word of God, apply the word of God. James 1, 5 says, if you want wisdom, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him speak of God, let him ask of God, who gives all to all generously and without reproach, it'll be given to him. You know, when you make decisions, you have a lot of freedom. Listen, listen there, there's two kinds of decisions to make. There's a right and wrong decision. There are things that you know from the Bible that are wrong. And sometimes you're faced with a choice and it's to do something wrong or to do something right. You don't have to worry about it. Just go do right. There are other decisions that you make that aren't right or wrong decisions. You just have a decision to make, and both of them are right. You may say, I don't know which one to do. Well, ask God. Say, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me, help me understand what might be the best route to go, because it's not a right or wrong decision. I can choose either one. I just want to do the wisest one. And sometimes you ask somebody else, and sometimes there's something you might find somewhere in the Scripture, or you might talk to somebody who's already done something that you're looking at, and they may say, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. I tried it that way. It didn't work. And you go, ooh, thanks for the information. All, all that is is just asking for wisdom, and God will give it to you in one way or the other, whether it's through people or through something else. So Solomon, the wisest man. Now, we're in chapter 4, and we... Don't have that long. And we've got 34 verses to go, which we'll make very easily. So let's look at this, okay? Solomon's organization of his government. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, King Solomon was king over all Israel. Now, he's saying, he's, the, he's it. It's all set up. And so let's see how he set everything up, and let's see his wisdom. Now, I want to show you something. In verses 2 through 6, he gives us some names. I just want you to see these names. In verses 2 and 4, you have Azariah, Zadok, Abathar. They're the priest. So he had priests. Then he had a secretary, which is like an administrator who helps arrange things, plan things. That, that was those two men. Then they had a recorder. Recorder is a guy that recorded information and taxes. That was Jehoshaphat. Then he had a general. We know this man. That's Benaiah. We've already seen him. He's really tough. He's a great general. Then there's this guy, the supervisor of deputies, Azariah. What deputies? Well, we're going to talk about what they are in just a second. Then there's the king's friend. That's really an advisor. That's the bud. That's who that is. Then there was a person who oversaw the household, helped him personally. And then finally, there was a person over the forced labor. So in those first six verses, there are his main people that, that basically function under him. And then look at verse 7. Solomon had 12 deputies over all Israel who provided for the king and his household. Each man had to provide for a month each year. Now, the why they did the deputies, this guy, Azariah, supervised the 12 deputies. Now, the 12 deputies, they divided, and here's what Solomon did. He divided the kingdom into 12 parts. Now, some people say, was it the 12 tribes? We don't think it was. We think it was 12 different areas, ruled over by 12 deputies, and each deputy had for a month. 
They had to provide for the king for a month. And when their month was over, then their 11 others went. And so once a year, you had to provide one month for the king. If you notice, again, it says, verse 7, Solomon had 12 dead, but he's over all Israel who provided for the king and his household. Each man had to provide for a month uh, in the year. So they, they did that. And if you start at verse 8 and go all the way through verse 19, it is listing the names. Now, and we're not worried about looking at the names right now, but look at verse 20. It says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that's on the seashore in abundance, and they were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now, all I want you to see there is they're saying everything's good in the land. They're eating, they're drinking, they're rejoicing. It's a good time. They're not issues or problems. You remember when David was the king, they always fought problems because David was fighting this enemy. David was fighting this enemy. But now that Solomon's the king, everybody's defeated, and Solomon is ruling, and everybody's okay. There's no issues. That's why it says everybody's eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now, look at verse 21. Now, Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt, and they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. He said, man, Solomon was ruling everything. And then verse 22, Solomon's provision for one day was, and it lists 30 cores of flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, a, a hundred sheep besides the deer, the gazelles, the roebucks, the fatted uh, fowl. For all of the had dominion over all this, and he calls it all out. And so he lists all of these things that, that, he was, uh, that they did. Some have estimated that for one day it was to feed 14,000 people. I think that's a high number. I, I don't think it was probably that many people he fed every day in his kingdom, but there was a lot because he's got all these people working under him and uh, for him. And if you look at that food, I mean, just think 100 sheep a day. So how many people did he feed? Now, I want you to look down at verse 25. So Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Now, all that means is this, that there was safety in the land. There was peace under Solomon. Everybody had a vine and a fig tree, which means everybody had their own place. Everybody had their income. Everybody was taken care of. And when he says, from Dan to Beersheba, Dan was the furthest north part in Israel. Beersheba was the furthest south part in Israel. So he's saying, all of Israel, everybody was great. Now, let me read something for you quickly, and we'll come back to it. But verse 26 says, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Just for you to understand, some of the other, in Second Chronicles, uh, it, it reads 4,000 stalls of horses. And so we don't know how many it was. Um, 40,000 would be a real lot because it had 12,000 horsemen and chariots. So probably 4,000 is probably the right number. And sometimes in manuscripts, there's just different... Uh, different things there. These deputies provided for King Solomon, all who came to Solomon's table, each in his month, they left nothing lacking. So they came to, he had all these horses, he had all this stuff. And, and, and now I want you to look at verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breath of mind like the sand that's on the seashore. Now, he says, this wisdom was given by God as he promised to Solomon. And look, it said, breath of mind. That means Solomon could know and understand all kind of things. We're going to see in just a minute that Solomon went out and said, 
Okay, we're going to, those flowers, those flowers are called this, and they fit with these flowers over here. And see that bug that's crawling along? We're going to call that bug this. And see that animal over there? He, he began to name all this, put it all together, set up everything. He's so smart. We'll see it all in just a minute. So he's so wise. Look at this. It says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He's the smartest one of all. He's the wisest one of all. Then it says, and he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, the He-Man, Calcol, Dara, the son of Mahol. The fame was known to all the surrounding nations. Now, you may say, who are these people, Ethan? Look at this. This man named Ethan, he wrote Psalm 89. This man named He-Man, he wrote Psalm 88. They were known as wise men. They actually wrote scripture. They got direct revelation from God. And yet, they says, Solomon was wiser than all of them put together. Now look at the next verse, verse 32. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Look at 3,000 proverbs. Now we have the book of Proverbs, right? How many proverbs are there? There's 31, but the proverbs aren't. Like one verse in a proverb says, the wise man does this and the foolish man does this. That's a proverb right there. Now I don't think in the book of Proverbs there's 3,000 proverbs. So that means he wrote a lot of Proverbs that aren't in Scripture even. And then he wrote 1,005 songs. They got pretty specific, didn't they, on that one? 1,005? He did so many other things. He wrote the Song of Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes. You know what he said about Ecclesiastes? He said, vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. Anything under the sun is vanity. And that means anything apart from God is worthless. You know what he said? He said, I went out, and I, I got every flower, every plant, every animal, every swimming pool, every house, every woman, a thousand of them. I got everything, this is in Ecclesiastes, and he said, and guess what? They don't satisfy. Anything under the sun doesn't satisfy. And let me just say this. If you're out there, and you say, man, if I just had that new car, if I just had that new phone with that camera, Wow, if I had this, I had this. You think that's going to make you happy? It's not. You think that's going to satisfy you? It's not. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go out and buy that camera, that phone with that camera. Everybody says, best camera ever made. Six months from now, they're going to have a better one. And you'll say, gee, I want that new one. So you're never going to be satisfied because things can't satisfy. Solomon found that out. Thousand and five songs. Wow. Look at the next verse. He spoke of the trees, from the cedar that's in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Botany and zoology. He knew it all. He could tell you, he'd say, okay, this, this animal is this, and it's related to these kind of animals over here, but not related to this animal. And see those plants? We're going to call them this. And look, they're made two different ways than these over here. He knew it all. And that's why even in, the, in Ecclesiastes, he said, I knew every plant, I knew everything. Still didn't satisfy. Men came from all the peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and all the kings of the earth who heard came to hear his wisdom. The queen of Sheba was very wealthy. We're not even sure where Sheba was. We don't know. She came to Solomon because she heard about him. She brought a whole bunch of gold and everything, so she thought this might impress Solomon. When she got there, she said, whoa, you got more gold than I've ever seen. You're the wisest man I've ever seen. The half of what is told about you it is not even half. 
You're the, you're the greatest king I've ever seen. That's what she said. He was. But wisdom will not stop sin. Sin is an act of the will. We can know what is right and still not do it. I want to show you something. Deuteronomy 17, I'll go fast because of time. When a king comes, here's what Deuteronomy says, you shall in fact appoint a king over you. In this case, in any case, he is not to acquire many horses for himself and he should not make the people go back to Egypt and to acquire these horses. For the Lord said, don't go that way. He will not acquire many, what? Wives for himself so that his heart does not turn away from God, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold. What did Solomon do? The wisest man in the world, what did he do? He had a thousand wives, and in Second Chronicles, he had thousands and thousands of horses that he went and got from Egypt, and he had so much gold that he said, silver's worthless. I got more gold than anybody could ever have. He openly disobeyed the scripture in those three places. This is the wisest man who ever lived. So wisdom does not mean that you won't sin. We can know what is right and not necessarily do it. We make choices every day to obey or disobey. Okay, let's quickly, let's get some applications. First of all, let's pray for our leaders that they would be wise men and women. Think about it. There is a, that's the leaders in the local body. That's, that's our state, our nation, uh, people in places of responsibility. We pray that they might have wisdom. Pray that they might make wise choices instead of foolish choices. And that goes for in our church. And think about, we have elders and deacons. And, and, on, and on top of that, we have people who oversee all our ministries. So pray for them. Pray that God will give them wisdom as they oversee and do ministries and those kind of things. It, I mean, it's really, really something. The second thing is this. Let's live according to God's wisdom and not man's wisdom. See, there's man's wisdom, which is earthly. And uh, like the Bible says, uh, uh, a man... A man says something, but the end is death. I mean, he th that's what he thinks. Sometimes he thinks, and he's wrong. But there's God's wisdom, which is from above. And we can get that wisdom, because if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll take you through the scripture. He'll take you to the right place. And then the third thing, let's remember, sin is a decision. Let's do right and not just know what is right. It's so easy if you're not careful, and that's why you've got to guard your heart be careful where you go. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you say. Guard your heart. Don't put the wrong stuff in there because we're capable. We're capable of any sin. So be careful.